Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hi, James. Hey, Scott. How's it going? It's going well. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. Here we are. Another day. Another day. More fun stuff to tackle. A chance to help people be financially literate so we can stop this podcast and just go surfing. Yeah. Hey, that's a good goal. And every week, listener by listener, we're getting very close. I sense it. Yes. So share this for those listening. If this is valuable to you, we get a lot of fun feedback, which Scott and I really enjoy reading, by the way. We don't get a chance to answer every single question that comes through, but we read every single question. And a lot of them have fun comments like, thank you so much for the podcast. It's really helped the way I approach planning or investing or whatever it might be. So we appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. And if you do have a listener question, please take a second to submit it. You can do that at realpersonalfinance.co, submit a question. And if you do like this episode and it's helpful to you, please share it with other people so we can have the US be financially literate. We want you to make better financial choices. Yes, absolutely. Well, what's the topic for today? How are we going to help people become more financially literate? Yeah, you know, we've been answering some really detailed questions over the last few episodes. And then recently we took a chance just to step back and help people look at, well, what's your balance sheet? How do you start thinking about your balance sheet? You know, how do we start looking at it year over year to see what are the changes that are happening? And I thought, why don't we do the same thing today with income? I love it. I recently started going to this boxing club that's Mm -hmm. just opened up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you want to go in there, you want to throw the hooks and the uppercuts and all this fun stuff. And it's like, hey, hold on a second. You don't even know how to do the basics. Let's get the work down. Let's get the jab down. Let's get the just understanding down. And that's what we kind of do in a lot of aspects of life, I think. We want the fun stuff right away, but until yeah. we have the fundamentals down, it's really difficult to do the fun stuff most effectively. So this is one of those fundamental episodes. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, like if the fundamentals are in place, it makes it so doing some of the more technical things can make a lot more sense. But at first, let's just understand the basics. And then you really can come back to these basics again and again to see where you're at. Are you on pace? Are there any big shifts you should be looking for? Oftentimes they can be identified by starting to look at the foundation or the bigger picture rather than just getting focused on the nitty gritty about, you know, what's my exact asset allocation for this exact account? Yeah, exactly. So where should we start with this? Well, let's just start with the idea of what is income. What kind of sources would we see someone shows up to us for a conversation? What are the common types of income that we're going to think about first to get to our total number? I'm thinking a salary. Yep. So oftentimes people come in and you have a salary at work. So, you know, we work with a lot of clients who have stock compensation, tech and biotech employees. So you'll see salary, you'll see maybe bonus paid in cash. Oftentimes you'll see restricted stock units that are vesting over a period of time. All of those three components are going to add up to an annual amount of compensation. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's it's good for employers. If you're employed, pardon me. What if you're not employed? Where are we going to see it typically? Yeah, depending on the reason you're not employed. Let's say you're retired. 
well, is it social security? Is it Mm -hmm. a pension? Is it real estate income, which could also be an income source, even if you're not retired, but it's investment income. Really, it's where's income coming from because your income is what drives your cash flow, which is kind of the lifeblood of everything that's going to happen for you on a financial basis. Really, at the end of the day, everything we're doing is to create income so that we can do what's most important. Fully you have all agree. the assets in the world, all the best returns in the world, but you just don't have income, you're not going to be solvent. You're not going to be able to do the things you want to do. So as basic as it sounds, that's where you start is what is your income and where are the sources? Agreed. So social security income, pension income, if you have real estate properties, maybe we have some income coming from real estate properties. You also, if you have lots of investments built up, you may not think of it, but it's going to show up on your tax return. Dividends and interest could show up there, right? We could start getting payments from the types of investments that we have. Another source of income could be required minimum distributions if you're over the age of 72 now. So we just want to see where are all the income sources coming from first. And then once we have that, we want to look and see what are you doing with your income? Yep. Yep. Now, I don't know about you, James, but I personally think of this in four categories that make it pretty simple to understand. And then if you're an accumulator, if you're building assets or if you're a retiree, this might shift a little bit, but we can look at all four categories. They still matter. So the four I think of are savings. Where are we saving money to? They are spending. What do we need to really live life? They are debt payments. What do we need to, maybe we have a debt payment of some type for our life, but we're going to keep it outside of spending. And then taxes. What are we paying in taxes? What do you think about those four? I think those are the best four things ever. I love that four. Totally. They're so exciting, yeah. right? They're so exciting. But it's, you know, Vince Lombardi, he had a famous speech where he walked in after, I think it was after his team won the Super Bowl. And he comes in the next spring, just training camp and says, gentlemen, and holds up a football, says, this is a football. Just to kind of get that point across. We're starting yeah. from the ground up. We're starting with the fundamentals. And that's what this is. You know, it's not complicated. It's savings, spending, debt payments, taxes. That's where your income can go. And if you understand that, and if you understand where it's currently going, and we'll talk through that in a second, you can start to see, is there anything that could be improved or optimized? That's the key, right? Looking ourselves in the mirror and going, here's all the income that we have. Where is this money going? Yeah. Is it aligned with the life I want to live now? and the resiliency I want to have in my life and the things I want to be doing in my future. Yep. Right? Yeah. Yep. So why don't we just break this down? We'll start with savings. What are the common places we see people saving? Yeah, there's different kinds of savings. You could be savings to things like an emergency fund. You could be saving for something like a vacation that you're going to be taking in a handful of months. Or you could be saving for something long-term like retirement, which is maybe you're saving your 401k, you're saving to a Roth IRA. So really it's money that you're setting aside for future consumption as opposed to current consumption. Yeah. When I think of it through this lens, I think you and I are pretty much on the same page. The only change I personally make here is if I know I'm saving for some type of consumption in the next year, two, three years, and I know it's not going to be for an asset. So like if I'm saving for a down payment on a home, I'm going to call that savings because I'm saving for the down payment. But if I'm saving for Amanda and I and the boys to go on our next spring break vacation, I'm going to tag that to spending. I'm just going to do it inside of a savings account. Mm, I see. Okay. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. 
Because that way, if my wife and I sit down and look at this, we can say we're saving X percent for our futures or for something that really matters, something that's building something on our balance sheet. Yeah, I guess technically all savings is for future consumption at some point, but the short term yeah. consumption or long term consumption. So you're looking at, OK, we're we're saving to spend and we're saving to spend this money soon as opposed to just saving to have that money there indefinitely. Exactly. So my surfboard collection gets part tagged to spending, not savings. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's probably fair. Yeah. But, you know, the things that you're saying, like emergency fund, an opportunity fund, maybe we're saving for the down payment on a house, 401ks, all those things. I think those HSA accounts, all that shows up there. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. The little pro tip I'd give here is like if let's say that like if you're doing this at home, because you could do it on a piece of paper, right? Add up all the income that you have. And then one of the things that you if you want to get quality savings rate, though, like if James, for instance, is I'm just going to make up a number, his salary is $100,000 a year, and he has a 401k with a match at work that does a 5% match. So he's going to get a $5,000 employer contribution to savings. I would actually increase my total income in this instance to 105000 right? So then whatever I'm saving plus whatever the 5000 the employer gave, that's my real savings rate. Does that make sense? I know that's a little geeky, but... Do you follow that? Yeah, it's not cash income, but it is still income in the sense that it's a benefit that the employer is paying you. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's a little bit detailed, but yeah, it's 100% important as you're trying to get an accurate reflection of what is your actual all-in income and how much of that all-in income are you actually saving? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good idea of savings. When you look at savings ranges for folks, what do you hope to see? Yeah, there's the rule of thumb, and we've talked about this before, which is helpful, anywhere from maybe 10% on the low end to, I mean, some people are saving 20, 25%, 30%. Yeah. Now there's no one size fits all. And we'll use the example, you know, let's say you're saving for retirement and you have one person who's 20 years old and they're starting to save and invest and they're saving 10% versus another person who's 64 years old, has never invested and wants to retire at 65. Right. Probably a different investment rate needed or savings rate yeah. needed than that 20 year old. So there's so many variables, whether it's how much you expect your funds to grow, how much you want to live on in the future, what your income is today. But somewhere in that range is a good, healthy starting point. And then you really hopefully get something that's unique to you. Fully agree. Yes. All right. So that's savings. Should we talk about spending now? Yeah, the fun stuff. Spending. Talk to me yeah, about spending. Spending, I think people hear the word spending and some people have a negative connotation to it, but I actually think it's pretty positive because it's putting money to work in your life to live the life you want. Yeah. Well, and as I mentioned, all savings is for future consumption, which means for future spending, whether mm -hmm. it's your spending or your heirs spending one day, it's we're not just saving because saving is a fun game to play. We're saving because we want to be able to do great stuff in the future as well as today. So yes, yeah. it's not bad to spend. We encourage people to spend. We just need to balance everything appropriately. Absolutely. And you know, spending, I think there's really two. You probably think of it in two ways. We think of like discretionary, like we can go do whatever we want, or you can think of it as like variable. You have kind of control over it could be another way of thinking of it. And then you have non-discretionary, right? The stuff you can't really turn off. And the thing I wouldn't include here, though, because I kind of mentioned as a caveat for a second, was debt payments. I would kind of hold as their own because you kind of want to measure debt payments relative to your income just to get a sense of how indebted are you and how does that hinder you or help you. So does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Again, yeah. just a different way of looking at it. But these accounting rules are important because it gives you the most accurate picture. 
Yeah. So like those things that are static or they're like kind of non-discretionary that I usually see are going to be like, you know, maybe we have like a term life insurance policy or maybe some disability stuff through work or uh, utility bills and childcare and the cell phone and, you know, like all that stuff. We're paying for like Netflix subscriptions over here. And the interesting thing to me is that everyone can make this their own. So one of our first episodes was budgeting sucks, do this instead. But like for you, if you fall in love with that, the new boxing gym, boxing could become a static expense for you, mm-hmm. right? But it could be variable for someone else, right? You can kind of decide like, is this something that I'm never going to turn off that has to be a part of my life at all times? Or is this something that oh, I could do without it or I could change it up? I could shadow box my my shadow instead yeah. <laughs> for free. But I think that's really the cool thing about cash flow is it's up to you to determine what's a need and what's a want. Yeah. And the other benefit to me of static versus variable or even discretionary in this, you know, this ideally would be factoring in debt payments as well. But, you know, say your income after taxes and savings is, is around number 10,000 per month. It's like, wow, I have $10,000 this month. I can do a lot with $10,000. Yeah. Well, once you back out those static payments of, okay, well, I've got the insurances and I've got the cell phone bill and I've got rent and I've got all these things, that dollar amount is going to shrink quite a bit. And so you're going to get a much clearer picture of, okay, really, it's this much smaller amount that I can do whatever I want with and I have to balance savings and other things with it. And it just gives you a much clearer picture as opposed to thinking that you've got this big number that you start with to go do whatever you want with. Completely agree. And that's where like understanding the fixed expenses, which will include debts versus the variable, how much flexibility do we want to have in our lives can often be dictated by exactly that. That's an excellent point. The thing that I think about that will live here too, in my opinion, is kind of future consumption. So I'll think of it as like dynamic or maybe dream bucket. What are the things I want to be saving for that I'm going to consume in the future? So my surfboard collection would be here and vacations and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Do you have a rule of thumb for how much people spend? Obviously, again, rule of thumbs are maybe a helpful starting point, but not something to not ever budge on. Any thoughts on that though? For like percentage wise, honestly, I think it's a big, it depends. It's a huge range. Yeah. Because like you got to think of if you're just out of college and you need to have like rent and like cover the costs of living in a major city, the majority of your take-home pay is going to be spending, right? Like you're not going to have a lot of excess cash. As you get into higher earning, this number should become a little bit lower, relatively speaking. Yeah. So I yeah, think I don't know that there's a helpful in like the 30% to 50% of gross income range. But I think when you're younger, it could probably be higher. Yeah. Yeah. Because keep in mind, this is after taxes. This is after savings. This number is going to shrink down to what you're actually earning at the high level. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So that's the fun one. Let's move on from the fun one. What's next? Yeah. Someone may call this the not fun one, debts, which debt can be helpful for us in many instances, but it can also hurt us, right? So much like when you're young and maybe you have a drink or two for the first time, like, do you drink the entire bottle or do you just have a a drink or two, right? How are you managing your debts? It's kind of an important question to understand. And and how much resiliency do you have or need to have cash flow wise on your balance sheet to cover those debts should something go wrong? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And some of these can tie, there's an overlap 
you know, in those static expenses that I talked about. I like knowing what are my static expenses every single month so I know how much of my income is already accounted for before mm-hmm. I make any real decisions. A mortgage payment or a car payment or a student loan, those are things that are going to ultimately flow back into that when I'm looking at that. But understanding yeah. what portion of your total income is going to debt payments, how much you, know, you borrowed money to buy a home, you borrowed money to buy a car, you borrowed money to go to college, you borrowed money to whatever it is, what percentage of your income now is going to pay back what you already spent? And that's a a good thing to know. Exactly. And that's so like, we'll see, you know, obviously credit cards could be here for personal consumption type of debts. But then we could also have what you just mentioned, mortgages, student loans, car payments. Those are the kind of the common things we're going to see here, as you're noting. I do think that, you know, the rules of thumb that we kind of learned as CFPs were there's this rule of the idea of, you know, your housing costs ideally don't go above 28% of your gross income. So if you made $100,000 a year, ideally you wouldn't pay more than $28,000 a year for what we call pity, which is principal and interest, the mortgage, plus insurance, plus property taxes. So like those four things would add up to around 28%. And then ideally all debts, including that, wouldn't go above 36%. Again, in some areas, if you want to be a homeowner, that's very hard to achieve, especially when you're younger and growing and scaling income. Mm-hmm. But it's still something we look at, right? And it's a trade-off to be measured. It's still something we look at, and this goes back to the intentionality behind it. At the end of the day, you don't want your debt percentage to be too high because it just squeezes out room to spend or room to save or room to do other things. Now, if you have a high enough income where you can support a higher debt level as a percentage, and still save what you need to save and still spend what you need to spend. That's really what matters. You're going to be- More power to you. Yeah, exactly. exactly. This is just a good, helpful starting point where if you have no idea where you stand, use this as a starting point and then go from there. Yeah, the other thing I would add to your point is, you know, debt, it can cause you to become stuck. And what I mean by that is you just mentioned, if you have a high income and you have the ability to service it, well then, and you save for what you want to do in the future, wonderful. And I fully agree with that. Unless one day you wake up and decide, I don't want to have this high paying, I'm just assuming it's a high stress job with the high paying job. I want to do something completely different. Well, if in that instance, you're tied to high debt payments, that may cause for a really big rearrangement in life. Whereas if you hadn't had such high debt payments, it might've created more flexibility for you to make those changes in your life. Yeah, debt can be used for good things, but debt can also tie you down. There's no question about that, especially once it's kind of debt due to irresponsible spending or doing stuff that can be a difficult hole to dig yourself out of. So be very careful because debt's easy. It's easy to spend now and say, I'll just pay for this over time. It's much harder down the road to say, okay, how do I get out of this if I, you know, am no longer wanting to pay it? Well, yes. Don't book that next cruise on the credit card. Make sure you have the cash set aside to do it. Make sure you have the cash to do it. That's right. Okay, yeah. so what's the last one? Last would be taxes. Everyone's right. favorite. The only thing <laughs> that you can't escape are death and taxes, right? So taxes, we're really going to see three things here. Now, if you have a W-2 income, you can go look at your pay stub and you'll have this thing called FICA taxes, Social Security and Medicare. You're going to pay that. You only pay half of it, but you will pay it. And then if you're self-employed, you could just look at your total tax returns and get all of your federal taxes and your state taxes. So there's yeah. state income taxes, federal income taxes, and then there's FICA. Those three things combined should be the majority of taxes for the majority of people. 
Not to say that there aren't some local taxes and things like that that might exist for others. Yeah. There's always going to be sales tax or property taxes. Those in some ways are just going to get grouped into spending. You know, if you go out to dinner and you pay yes. taxes on your dinner bill, you're not going to itemize, okay, what percentage of this was actually my meal yeah. and what percentage of this is taxes? It just gets grouped into consumption or to, to spending. But yeah, the federal, state, FICA, going to be the overwhelming majority of taxes for most people. Yeah, those are the three I agree I would look at. I wouldn't worry so much about keeping track of your local sales taxes. <laughs> but once you know that, you'll know, well, roughly relative to my gross income, what percentage am I paying to taxes? Right? That's important. So anything else you'd add about that? No, and this is what, you know, you can control your savings rate and your spending rate and your debt rate with some good planning. Taxes, it's just a function of your income for the most part. Yes, you can do smart things here and there too to defer taxes or to lower your tax bill a bit. But this isn't something that you can say, oh, wow, I'm at 30%. What moves can I make to get to 10? Right. Well, it's just, it's a reflection of your income. So I think that's good. What's the point of all this? What's the so what behind knowing these numbers? Let's get there. But I also just love that you brought that up because one of the things we people come to us all the time for tax planning, right? Which we do look at the things you can do to reduce your taxes, but the idea that you just gave that we have more control over where our, all the other money goes is such a good point. <laughs> it's so true. But, you know, to your point, the thing that I think about once we know this is I just want to look for clients that will, where is all of your money going? What percentage are you saving for your future? And then how quickly did you want to reach that work optional goal? And are you on pace to achieve that? And oh, you're not. Okay, so what are we spending to spend? Are all of the discretionary and non-discretionary expenses that we have really impactful in your life? Yeah. Because if they're not, why do we have them? If we don't have them, we can perhaps save more to help you get freedom faster. Or maybe there's something else in the present day that you'd rather be doing with those funds. Yeah. And then yeah, to your point with taxes, we can look at, well, are you doing everything, knowing who you are and where you want to go and what you're doing today? Are you doing everything you can to help reduce that tax bill as much as possible? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Knowing these numbers is the foundation of doing good planning. Okay. You want yep. to, that's again, you want to retire. Great. How much do you want to spend in retirement? Well, it's kind of going to be a function, at least to some extent of what are you spending today? Because how absolutely. much do you want to maintain in the future? So if you don't know what you're spending today, it's going to be tough to know at that time. You want to retire. Okay. How much are you saving today? Well, let's go find your savings rate. Let's see where money's going. Let's see what you're doing to move towards that. So really what this is doing is it's helpful, yes, by itself, just to understand where money's going. But also, as you're understanding, are you on track to save for retirement or save for that vacation or save to be able to take that sabbatical or whatever it is, this gives you all the, almost the raw data needed to go into some of that planning to be able to get good answers to those important questions. Fully agree. And here's what I think about after I know the baseline. Once I know the baseline for a client, I want us to start looking at this. Well, first of all, once we know the baseline, we want to ask ourselves three questions, right? Is this money going into areas that allow us to live a great life now, that provide us resilience, or build for our future? And it should be going to one of the three places. And if it's not, we need to make a change, right? And then once we know that and we set the baseline, then looking at it year over year, What's happening to our savings rate? Is it going up as our income goes up? If we don't need to live into our income more? Is our spending staying the same or slightly going down because income's going up and we're saving to other places? 
Are our debt payments going up or down? Like what's causing this to happen? And then with our taxes, are they staying kind of stable? Is something wacky going to happen in the next year? Is there a planning opportunity coming up because we're going to have a big income year versus a low income year? Like once we can look at this year over year over year, we can start to really see what are we doing and what are the changes we want to make? Yep. Yeah, exactly. Step number one is knowing where you stand today and then how do you manipulate those numbers to get to where you want to go in the future? Absolutely. Cool. Anything else you want to add to this? No, I think that's it. It's a good overview, but you know, with four basic numbers, they kind of take, we walk you through how to go get them for yourself. You can really get a sense of how are you doing? And then once you have that, you can start tracking it to see what changes. Actually, there's one thing I'd want to add. The income number ideally is going up over time, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest things that we can do with the income number is little things. Like if you work for a corporation, set yourself a reminder every Friday to write down the things you did this week that go above and beyond your job description. So when it's time to go get that review, you go in with the laundry list of all the things that you did. So instead of getting, you know, I used to say a 3% raise, you get a 5% raise, but this year, instead of a 8% raise, you get a 12% raise, right? (laughs) Because if you can grow your income for a few years while you're younger, or even when you're older, it will do more for you than specifically where you save, you know, the asset allocation having more fuel to go put in the tank of investment accounts will do more for us than focusing on how do I get this perfect allocation in an investment to increase my rate of return. Does that make sense? It makes a ton of sense. And I fully agree. Yeah, I think a good thing to end on is the app. You can nitpick on expenses and savings and all stuff. But if you grow that top line number, and you have the discipline to not adjust lifestyle every time that top line number grows, that's going to get rid of a lot of your problems or a lot of your challenges that you face with your finances. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. All right. Very good. Well, thanks, Scott. Yeah. Until next time. See you all next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.